Hi everybody, this is Jitain from Xeno and you're listening to Retail Reimagined, the podcast where we'll talk to CEOs, CMOs, CTOs from the retail industry and uncover the future of retail. So tune in and stay reimagined. Hi folks, I hope you guys are all doing well and welcome to another episode of Retail Reimagined. But this one is slightly different. My guest today is someone who spent over three decades in redefining loyalty, CRM and database marketing. I've had the opportunity to work with him in the past, though very briefly, but a period that I learned a lot. One can call him an evangelist, an expert, or Mr. Loyalty. Okay? And he's someone who can speak about it even when deep asleep. So without much ado, it's my privilege to introduce to you Mr. Ajero on this very special episode of Retail Reimagined. Over the next 20 minutes, I will talk to Ajay on his journey and his take on loyalty. Ajay, thank you for joining me on this show and welcome to Retail Reimagined. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me and I really appreciate you making the time. I so thank you too, Ajay. And let me get quickly into it. And I'm very intrigued, right? What's with this fascination of starting up? So, uh, okay, so there are many things. Number one is selfish motivation, right? Which is, I enjoy doing startups. You know, there's a quote, being on the wire is life. The rest is waiting. This was done by the guy who walked across the two World Trade Center dogs before, you know, terrorists decided to bring them down. But he'd slung a rope between them and he walked across. And he used to say that being on the wire is life. The rest is waiting. For me, being in a startup is life. The rest is waiting. Right? You're imagining something which doesn't exist. You're solving a problem. And then you're creating the solution to that problem. Right? Now, that, to my mind, is the biggest thrill there is. And sure, you make a little bit more money than you might have done as career executive, which is nice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's most fun is that every decision you make is make or break, right? Every single day, every single decision sets the tone for what that company will become. And that, to my mind, is the most exciting part of being in the startup. So starting something from nothing at all, adding your imprint on it, if you will, you know, your, your moral, your thinking, your strategic imprint on it, which makes it what it will become later. It's almost like bringing up a child, right? I mean, you sort of, you have a child and the child becomes an adult and like it or not, what you did between the ages of zero months and call it three years, six years, whatever it is, has a significant difference. It could just have a difference as the child gets older, but you know, it's those initial months and years where everything that matters happens. True. Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. You've done this as well, right? You know? Yes. I mean, for, for research, I, I did. I did. You know what I'm talking about. I, I do. I do. And you said solve a problem. Yes. You said solve a problem, right? And if I look at this, the startups that you founded, they have a common thread. Somewhere it's all about the customer. Yes, yes. that is true. Why was this thread? Okay, let me, let me explain. All the startups I've done have been about the end customer, but they're all B2B startups, right? And my um, litmus test, if you will, for whether I should do something or not, is when I go and call on somebody and I say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of this idea. What do you think, right? In a company. And it was a target, uh, target audience company. And the guy says, oh, you know, it's a great idea, man. Fantastic. You should do it. Don't touch it. Right? If the guy says, where the F have you been for the last three years? No, that's the one I want to do. Right. Because what that tells me is, A, he's got a need. B, he hasn't found a solution. Because, you know, so, which means there's no competition. And C, he's got a budget. And as you know, in companies, you know, getting onto a budget is the way you make a sale, right? If there is no budget, creating a budget or nothing at all is not really going to happen in nine out of 10 companies. Correct. Right? So that's what I look for. Now, in order to get that reaction from the person in the company, 
I need to have a reaction from, because all the companies I do are these B2, B2C kind of companies. I need to have a solution for the customer which stands the test common sense, which makes that end customer take an action, change an attitude, do a behavior of some sort, which has a positive impact on the you know, person who's going to buy my services, right? Now, you remember when we were in Wonderman together, right? Uh, we were a B2B company, right. but our focus was entirely on the end customer and saying, can I get that end customer to behave in a way which makes him or her more profitable for the company I'm dealing with? Right. And I've done nothing but that. So it's a combination of data. So almost all the companies I've done, in fact, not almost all, every single company I've done has got an underlying underpinning of data, right. right? And the ability to build stuff on top of that. Yeah. Perfect. Now, you've been doing this for last 35 years, right? So somewhere, do you think this this entire thought process that you had was really focused towards seeing how loyalty uh, as a concept should be bettered? And you know, was that was that your thought process? Because you've been you've been at loyalty for the last thirty five years. Yeah. So I've tried hard, right? Uh, if you Google me, for example, you'll find that I desperately try to do sessions where I try and teach people. I've been fortunate enough to learn. You know, I try to propagate that because I'm not a great believer and, you know, keep it to yourself. It's more, you know, I mean, let's share, let's learn from each other. Right. So I've tried very hard to help people learn, right? But I've also, frankly, been a little self-serving insofar as having, a, I mean, having been doing this for so long, you got some insights into what works, what doesn't work and where the gaps are. And that, uh, you know, the opposite of mind the gap, which they say in the London Tube, right? Here it's find the gap. Because there, there's a business opportunity. Find the unsolved problem, right? And there's a business opportunity, which is what I've done. So whether you take Litmus World, which is, you know, to say, hey, how can I allow a retailer to compete with the likes of an Amazon or Flipkart in terms of the customer experience by providing real-time live customer experience to somebody in store, right? Which is where the Litmus World came. And the first conversation is, of course, how did it go, right? And once right. I know how it went, then I can start building on that conversation. So that's not Litmus World. And all the companies have been somewhere in that space of finding a solution to a customer problem which benefits my customer, who's the company who wants the customer, the end customer to be benefited as it were, right? Right. So it's always been find the gap, right? And leverage that in some manner. But I also help, I mean, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs who I help in various ways, sometimes for compensation, most of the time free. So, you know, I learn from them. But the way I look at it is that they teach me the thinking which is doing the rounds now, and I get to pass on, you know, what I've gathered over the years. And it's a nice symbiotic kind of thing. So I'm not seeing it as, oh, you made a lot of money out of my thinking. I'm seeing it as, you know what, that thinking got applied in what fun. And you know what? I learned something, sure. which I wouldn't have learned otherwise without absolutely. that. Direction. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, kind of, you know, I kind of marry your thoughts on that one. Do you, do you agree? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with you on that one okay. in terms of, yeah, learning a new type of thinking and sharing your experiences. Yeah. Do what you can. You remember Lester Bannerman used to say, leave a kado at every meeting, right? A kado oh. meaning a present. In, and every meeting, leave behind an idea which the guy hadn't thought about before. And I think we learned so much from Bannerman, right? And he was so free with his teaching. And, you know, it was available to everybody. It's only not only for the guys who worked in Bannerman. It was for everybody who bothered to read his articles, his books, listen to his lectures. I mean, he just shared, right? Correct. And I guess he taught us that. Great man. We were privileged to think, work with well, him. I know. I know you had that privilege. And I, I had the privilege very briefly to work with you. So... Yeah, I guess there was some amount of transfer of knowledge that happened way back. Uh, you've been, you've been, you know, very critical of the way loyalty programs have been done, right? And what works and what doesn't 
where's the problem, where's the gap? How do we see loyalty programs now? You know, where, where are they today? And where do you think they're going to go? So you're right. I have been critical. And the reason why is, see, what is the purpose of a loyalty program? It's to make the customer care, the member care, right? If I can make an individual care, right, I can get him to change his attitude and his behavior to something which is beneficial, you know, to the program and therefore to the business, right? The most loyalty programs set up as a, frankly, very short-sighted view of, look, I'll give you 3% back as points. Mm. The fact that out of the 3% back as points, you'll make 100 rupees at the end of five years and most of those points will expire. And you spent over 50,000 rupees with these completely irrelevant. Now, as a result, you don't care. You don't notice. But now that you've been foolish enough to sign on to my loyalty program, I feel it gives me a right to spam you mercilessly in any way I can. You mm. give me a mobile number, let me send you 10 SMSs a day. Right? You can always ignore right. them. Right? Yeah. But the result of that is what brands have done and businesses have done is they shot themselves in the foot because you've got a hugely powerful tool. Right? And that tool gives you data. It gives you a currency which you control. It gives you an ability to recognize somebody, treat them differently when they're with you, experience your brand. It gives you an ability to create a communication channel that you control. So you don't go to Facebook and Google. You've got the comm channel. Now, if you ignore all this, you convert the currency into rupees. If you don't use the data effectively, you just slam people with the communication channel. They reward you by ignoring you. And in the old days, each mailer, you remember, used to cost us, you know, 20 rupees, 100 rupees, 200 rupees, whatever it was, right? right. It cost you a fair amount. Now it's free, right? So therefore, you think there's no cost to what I'm doing. But the cost is the educating the customer to ignore you. And that, I feel, is irresponsible because what it does, aside from causing the company annoy the heck out of the customer, you know, because that customer has been slammed by too much com, which is not relevant to that customer. So aside from that negative, it gives our entire industry a bad name. We get known as spammers. We get known as, you know, and that's the reason why I've been a little critical, saying that, look, take a step back and try and understand how loyalty works. and you know, design the program and execute the program to work right. effectively, right? right? And that's what I've been trying hard to persuade people to do. It sometimes works, usually it doesn't do. So, so what to do? And why do you think it doesn't work? I'm not asking why it works, but I'm not, I'm not asking why it doesn't work. So, uh, I, I think there are many reasons, right? One of the biggest reasons, to my mind, is a lack of adequate training and understanding of how loyalty works, right? Uh, which is why I try and do, at least my individual level, I try and do whatever I can to pass on the knowledge. But I think it takes more than one individual going and waffling, you know, for hours on a very boring subject. Incidentally, those videos that I do, they're very good at putting people to sleep. So if they have difficulty falling asleep at night, go and Google me and listen to them. Within minutes, you'll be fast asleep. You sleep, they'll sleep on the just here. Something to bear in mind. So, but I try hard. But we need a more formal system. So for, to my mind, in the US and to a lesser extent in the UK, Let's talk about the U.S. first, because that's where I think the maximum sophistication lies. What happened was that you had the catalog companies, right? Because retail in the U.S. didn't reach out to what was known as the Wild West, the Prairies, you know, all that, all those parts of the U.S. to EK's data. But the catalog companies reached out, and catalogs were bloody expensive, which meant that data-driven marketing and the ability to incentivize people effectively using data to do so was born, ingrained into their system. Right, right from the turn of the last century, right? Johnny Kennedy, one of the great copywriters, told Albert Lasker that uh, you don't know what advertising is. Albert Lasker was merely the owner and the managing director, CEO, whatever the hell it is, of the world's largest agency at the time, something called Lord and Thomas. And he said, you don't know what advertising is, but I'll tell you in three words. And so Albert Lasker popped out to meet with Johnny Kennedy, huge, big ex-Canadian mounted police guy. 
and said, okay, so tell me three words, your time starts now. And Johnny Kennedy said, salesmanship in print. Yeah. It transformed the way Alaska saw advertising. It's really Lauren Thomas, which you probably never heard of, used to be the dominant agency. Right. When Alaska stepped down, he gave it to his three office managers, the guy who ran LA, the guy who ran Chicago, and the guy who ran New York. And his only condition was they couldn't call it Lord and Thomas. So they rechristened the agency for Conan Building. Oh, so okay. FCB is actually born of what was then Lord and Thomas. So it's better. So I think that shift, right, which is salesmanship in print and using data in order to drive that, right? And salesmanship doesn't mean coming, shouting at you, repeating the same story again and again. It means understanding where you come from, understanding the problem I'm trying to solve for you, right? And you've got the data to do it now. That shift has not really happened. It's just a big pocket exercise. We set up a loyalty program, you run it, and boom, you know, you expect it to work. Right. It work. So where do you think loyalty programs are going to go, right? And there are two parts to my question. So where do you think loyalty programs are going to go now? Because I think point-based programs have kind of lost its charm, just to keep, you know, I think, use a very a more respectful term. So that's one part of my question. The second part is, should it be CRM first and loyalty next or loyalty first and CRM next? So let me take the first part of the question first, right? Which is, see, I think it is inevitable right now. All investors think about the VCs, et cetera, you deal with. Look at two things, right? They look at the growth in your customer base and you look at your CAC. So you'll say, what's your acquisition? What's your CAC? Right? Those are the two measures they look at. And companies have listed basis those two measures, right? Now that's going to change for us. We've all been through soft money, hard money cycles, tight money, lose money, everything. I mean, that's going to change. It's inevitable. Investors will come back to companies and say, you know what? I want to path profitably. I want to see how you're going to make free cash flow from your existing customers, right? And this mad rush to acquire at any cost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 100 rupees worth of value, but I'll give, allow you to get it at 60, right? And then I call myself a genius because I've got you as a customer. But no, you haven't actually. Right. The 40 bucks off has got you as a customer, right? Mm. True. So it's not, it's not a genuine relationship. It's not something on which I'm going to make a free cash flow. I've just educated you to expect a discount from me, right? So I think that demotion of brands and the demotion of companies is, is, is going to have to change. You have to get into free cash flow. Now, the best way to do this, call it a point program, call it a loyalty program of some other nature, right? Is, I think, finally a program which leverages a combination of data, tech, analytics, comms, recognition services, and gives you a differentiated service which recognizes what you want and keeps you loyal, right? Till it becomes a habit, so you don't think about it anymore. You just say, you know what, I'm going to go back to brand X because that's the one who gives me what you want, right? So I think it's inevitable. There, there is no way it's going to carry on as a mad rush for acquisition. It can't. I mean, companies finally have to make money, right? The second thing, which I think is about CRM and loyalty. See, CRM is, if you boil CRM down to three questions, who's valuable to me? What's valuable to him or her? And how do I extract and deliver knowledge, value, given that knowledge, right? How do I deliver and therefore extract value given that knowledge, right? Those are the three questions which make for CRM. Now, people call CRM a software, people call CRM a this or that, or forget, forget it. I mean, at its core, that's what CRM is. One of the best ways of delivering CRM is through a program. That program could be called a loyalty program, could be called a CRM program, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is you program the way of doing things. I know that when you join my family, you buy my brand for the first time, this is what's likely to happen to you, right? Let's take a car brand, right? Before you buy the car brand, maybe you spend a couple of years thinking about, oh, I need a new car, and then you get down to it. You 
speak to your brother-in-law, you know, the guy always knows more than you are, right? You read a few magazines, you visit a couple of websites, you ask a couple of friends who are knowledgeable, you do all the stuff, right? And then you go for your test drive, so the three cards you've shortlisted, you check them out, and then you get your new car. Now, once you get a new car, you break your coconut, you drive over your four nimbos, and you're good to go, right? Now, everything that follows, and everything up to this point, every automotive manufacturer knows, right? Now, how many of them manage this process to ensure that A, you buy that car, and B, you buy the car in a frame of mind which makes you feel good about the purchase? Right. Now, in your nursery period, let's call it the first month that you're driving the car around, you're really proud, right? You showed it off to your wife, you want to tell your friends about what a cool guy you are, right? They need to equip you to manage that period effectively. Then the next three months, when you bring in first service, second service, you know, the first year, now it's moving out of the free service, you're moving to paid services, right? Now, that entire process can be managed, right? I'll give you a very simple example. We did a lot of work with Ford Motor Company. This was post Wonderman, and this was for Ford uh, Credit, which used to run an extended warranty program, right? Uh, went to them and, you know, we looked at the data and I was running an analytics company at the time. And no matter what we did, we couldn't find anything in the data that would give us an improved rate. So I went back to them and said, look, I don't think you should hire us an analytics company. But since you've invested a lot of time, and you know, let me give you a couple of ideas, one idea in particular, which I think you should think about. So they said, sure, uh, you know, let's hear the idea. And so I said, you know, about a month before the warranty is about to expire, right? Do you give a call and say, would you like to buy an extended warranty? That's what I'm asking you. Give them a call and say, will you bring your car in for one last free service before it goes out of warranty? Because that way, at least when it goes out of warranty, we know you're good, right? Now what happens? They call you three weeks later, sell you the warranty. How much more likely are you to buy it? Now, how many people brought the car in for a free service? Very few. Because nothing wrong with the car. It's only a year old, right? And right. those that did, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the darn car. And that 0.01% where there is something wrong with the bad car, you should fix it anyway. <laughs> there's no yeah. downside. Yeah. Now, look at the upside. From some 6 point whatever it is percent uh, voluntary renewals, they moved up to 14%. All wow. it took was one phone call. One phone call, yeah. Right? And what I'm trying to get at, it's not the phone call. It's thinking behind what is the customer problem? How am I solving it? How do I make him loyal? Sure. I mean, you don't realize your warranty is going out. And you only think of warranty is the cost. You don't see it as a service which is giving you a benefit. Right. So the guy says, bring your car in. You know, let's check it out. Hey, man, that's worth something. You follow where I'm coming from? Absolutely. That's why I, I believe got... loyalty programs are here to stay. I mean, they may or may not be point programs. They probably will be for reasons like you get a currency you control, which is not rupees. Right. Because the alternative is to give rupees, which is known as a discount, right? And all these instant gratification programs, you know, which sounds so cool. They say, oh, I'll give you an instant gratification program. What are you doing, boss? You're giving you a discount now, right? Nine out of 10 times. And there are a few which are original and clever, but most of them are merely how much discount do I give you here, right? And that's and not then, as opposed to giving genuine value of the nature. I use this example, not because I'm emotionally attached to this one. I can give you hundreds. But to demonstrate that everybody knows that this is what a car buyer is going to go through. Now, you have a choice. You can do something about it, or you can leave it to chance. And there was a very famous uh, football coach, I think, who said, uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail, right? And if you leave it a chance, chances are it won't work out yet, right? It's, it's that simple. Right. And all of this can be codified into a database. All of this can be codified into a program, which you take this action when this event happens in the database, take this action. 30 days to the warranty expiry, make the call. Is that simple? It's not I love the Absolutely. It's not, it's not at all. And I love the way you just broke up the entire thought of CRM to those three different points, right? What is the value? How do you deliver that value? Versus what the customer is really looking, he or she is looking for, right? Yeah. So I know you have a hard stop. 
Ajay. I wish I could go on and on and, and you know, continue this conversation. It's been an absolute privilege having you here. And I'm going to come back to you once more and maybe take continue on this a little later. I think it's been an absolute wonderful, you know, kind of getting you to open up and share certain thoughts, which a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are going to uh, enjoy. Give me a call anytime. More than happy to spend time, right? And if it helps anybody else, hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if nothing else, it's always a pleasure. You know, I, I, I've been doing this stuff for 35, 36 years now, yeah. and I still love it. I know, and I can sense that. I, I can, I can sit, I'm sitting on the other side somewhere in Bangalore and listen to you, and I can, I can feel that the energy flowing through. Yeah. It's still there. It's still there. So thank Thanks, you buddy. so much. Thank you so much. Privilege, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for making the time and thanks for the questions and thanks for the option.